Thanks to Grammarly for supporting Market Foolery. Grammarly is a communication tool that helps people improve their writing to be mistake-free, clear, and effective. Start writing confidently by going to grammarly.com/fool to get 20% off a Grammarly premium account today. It's Monday, September 9th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill joining me in studio. Safe from Florida. It's Dan Klein. <laughs> there was no storm. <laughs> we did all the prep. We got everything ready. Batteries, water. Some of that stuff's going to the Bahamas now. But yeah, we missed the storm, which uh, you know, happy about that. Good. We've got a couple of big restaurant chains that are making headlines. Uh, we have a couple of highlights from FinCon, the big event last week, including an announcement from The Motley Fool, which I will share in a little bit. But we're going to start with retail not good news for discount retail chain Fred's. Uh, shares of Fred's down 40% this morning, closing all of its stores, uh, filing uh, Chapter 11. And uh, for those unfamiliar with Fred's, it operates in 15 states across the Southeast United States. And this, this is a story that we've seen play out over the last couple of years with Sports Authority, with Toys R Us, and now it's hitting Fred's. So, Fred's is in an interesting position because they've been sort of like an under the radar Sears, where like for the last three years, every time I have to write a like, these companies are closing stores, they were probably on the list. And they sort of did the let's get smaller and that will somehow make us profitable. What they weren't doing is the concurrent, why are we losing business? They didn't make major changes. They didn't sort of revamp their offering. And they actually had something that has worked for other people. They're a discounter. Those have generally, Dollar General does really well. Costco does really well. There's lots of room to succeed there. And Fred just sort of slowly slid into irrelevance. And as you get smaller, people think of you less often and you become less of a news story. And there was kind of no profitable business model for them. You know, it's interesting you mentioned Sears because we've been talking about Sears going out of business <laughs> for much of the past decade. And really, Fred's is the more typical example that we see with bricks and mortar retailers, which is when the end comes, it tends to come quickly. And you go back to February. February of this year, Fred's had more than 550 locations open, and now they're going to be closing every single one of them. So, the problem is, if there's no one to backstop your losses, and Sears had that to a point in Eddie Lampert, uh, Sears also, its former CEO, the chairman who, who now sort of runs the place, uh, his hedge fund had assets. So, the second you have an inability to get merchandise, and Toys R Us, we've talked about, went out of business because they had too much leverage buyout debt. But the reason they closed when they closed is they couldn't secure funding to get the goods they needed for the holiday season. So, at that point, even if you have enough money to stay open for three more months, but there's nothing on the shelves, what are you going to do? And Fred's got to the point where they don't have a digital strategy. So anybody that might have, you know, we'll take 30% of the company, we'll give you a lifeline, or make us the first secured debtor, we'll, we'll give you the money you need. There was no reason to do that because it's much like the story with Sears. I look at Sears and stay, there is no business there. I feel the same way about JCPenney. There is no turnaround possible. So why prolong the inevitable? In both cases, Sears is now more or less a private company, so they can do what they want. JCPenney is, if you're the CEO, you're not going to be like, okay, let's just cash out now. So the reality is they're going to drag it out to the bitter end. And Fred's tried to, but when you don't, when you can't pay the bills, it's over. So when you add up the announced closing uh, this year of bricks and mortar retail and the actual closings, 
you're looking at more than 7,000 stores. Uh, we still have a few months left in the year, uh, so we're already ahead of pace in 2018. 2017, I believe, there were somewhere in the neighborhood of 8,000 store closures. So We'll probably break the record, but the interesting piece about this, and I, I, I feel bad because I don't remember the survey I'm citing, but I wrote about last week on Fool.com, the amount of store openings is actually running ahead of the amount of store closures in every category, including department stores. It's close with department stores. But in most cases, the openings are strategic. It's a, a TJ Maxx, a Marshalls, a Ross going in in the right places. It's Warby Parker, Casper Mattress. In a lot of places, it's much smaller footprint stores. So you might lose the Nordstrom at your mall. We just lost the Nordstrom at my mall. And you might pick up two CBD stores, a one of those places that does Botox injections, and a, a, I don't know, an Untuck It. And while all those together are 15,000 square feet, and you lost an 80,000 square foot department store. So it's a really interesting transition we're going through. It, it, I'm glad you mentioned Warby Parker because they're a great example of, of, to your point, one of the things we've seen over the last few years, which are these uh, niche retail brands that were created online. And then they said, you know what, we we kind of want to raise the flag a little bit, and one way to do that is with some key locations. It demonstrates proof of concept. So, Dylan Lewis and I did a show about Peloton. And Peloton opens stores or kiosks in, I'll call them the A malls, the top tier mall in your area. Because are you going to buy a $2,500 exercise bike without sitting on it? Are you going to buy, I have no idea what a Casper mattress costs, but it's a lot. Are you going to buy one without laying on it? I don't think you will. So it just facilitates the process. It's not about making sales in that mall store. And just in case you were actually curious, I'm not buying a $2,500 exercise bike, period, no matter how comfortable the seat is. Chris built his own exercise bike. (laughs) Uh, The NFL season kicked off this weekend, which is good news for shareholders of Yum! Brands, the parent company of KFC, Taco Bell, and Pizza Hut, because we are now in year two of Pizza Hut being the official pizza of the NFL. For a bunch of years, it had been Papa John's, and then I think most people who listen uh, are aware of the debacle that happened with <laughs> Papa John's. Um, this seems like, on the surface anyway, Pizza Hut is finally starting to gain some traction in terms of sales. I think it really shows you. So, Pizza Hut sales lag the other Yum! brands, KFC and Taco Bell, but they've trended upwards after a long time of being flat or, or towards negative, at least some quarters. And when you watched football yesterday, and I watched conservatively maybe two and a half game sets, so half of the one o'clock, the four o'clock, and then the night game, Pizza Hut was all over the telecast. And I think it's showing you that proximity matters. That if you're going to order crummy delivery pizza, that, and, and you know, I, I, did How a, dare you. I did a show on Papa John's, these are barely passable pizzas. Pizza Hut isn't, it's not even like pizza. It's like a unique, somehow it's fried, but it's baked. Like it's, but you're sitting in front of the TV. And it's really easy to order Pizza Hut. And like six commercials remind you, Pizza Hut, Pizza Hut. And all the ads were is, hey, we're the place that has pizza in our name. That's pretty much the commercial. I didn't think that would work. But the NFL has moved past its own controversies. I don't think anyone now, there, there is no sort of taint to the NFL brand. And this has actually been a home run for Pizza Hut. And, and I stand corrected, because I said it was a terrible idea when it happened. Well, you mentioned Yum! Brands, and we have seen this story play out quarter after quarter with Yum! Brands, which is essentially, results from KFC and Taco Bell were pretty good, and they were weighed down by Pizza Hut. And despite that, over the past year, shares of Yum! Brands are up more than 30%. And so, 
imagine Yum Brands, where all three franchises are growing sales in a meaningful way. Yeah, and I think they bounce back from a strategic mistake with Pizza Hut. If you remember a few years ago, you remember they they announced they had sriracha and honey garlic and all the, and they were competing with like the Blaze pizzas, the places where you go in, they make you like an incredibly customized pizza in three minutes, and it's really good. They tried to turn Pizza Hut into that, which is kind of like sometimes the missteps McDonald's has made with with very expensive burgers. Nobody's going to Pizza Hut because they want gourmet pizza. So it didn't work. And now they're much back to like, we've got the pizza with the most cheese stuffed in the crust. <laughs> and that's that's the lane for Pizza Hut. It's stuffing things in the crust. Quick shout out to Grammarly for supporting today's episode. Grammarly is a communication tool that helps people improve their writing to be mistake free, clear, and effective. They encourage everyone, even the best students, and only the best students listen to this show, <laughs> and top professionals to use Grammarly to do their best work and accomplish even more of their goals. They help people show their best self through writing, and it's available across platforms, including online browser extension, desktop editor, and mobile keyboard checker. It's available on multiple browsers like Chrome, Firefox, Safari, and platforms like iOS, Android, Windows, and Mac. Their free product reviews critical spelling and grammar. But Grammarly Premium looks out for spelling, grammar plus, structure, style within context, vocabulary suggestions, readability for different occasions. And there are different occasions, particularly if you're in school and you're writing an essay as opposed to you're working a job and you have to write a business proposal. Grammarly is so easy to use. I've been using it. That's how easy it is, people. <laughs> it's free. Uh, the, the free version is easy, but premium, it just gives you a lot more. It gives you suggestions, advanced punctuation. That's, that's where, look, I'm just going to. I've been a written word journalist for 21 years and I use Grammarly. It is the only. Plugin for writing I have ever used, and they're not paying me to say this. I didn't even know this was going to be the ad today. It is an amazing tool that stops a lot of little mistakes. So I know it makes our fool.com editors a lot happier when they get my writing. There you go, people. Can't do any better than that. So whether you're looking to polish up your resume or just look smarter in your emails at work, do yourself a favor. Check out Grammarly. Go to grammarly.com/fool and you get 20% off your Grammarly Premium account today. That's grammarly.com/fool. For 20% off your Grammarly Premium account. In November, Starbucks is set to open its largest location in the world. It is a four story roastery in Chicago, more than 40,000 square feet. And in addition to coffee, it's going to serve pizza and cocktails. And it'll be hard to miss if you're in Chicago because it's right there on Michigan Avenue. We almost talked about this story on Motley Fool Money last Friday and just sort of um, it's one of the, as happens often on Motley Fool Money. Uh, some stories get cut, and this was one of them. Uh, I'm curious what you think of this because, uh, well, you know what? I'm a longtime Starbucks shareholder. I'll share my thoughts in a moment. You, you tell me what you think about this. So I'm a giant Starbucks fan, and I flew out to Seattle a couple of years ago, not entirely to go to the roastery, but that was one of the things I did when I was out there, and I was absolutely knocked out by the experience. I am a almost every day, sometimes twice a day, Starbucks customer. When you go to the roastery, you can have a traditional Starbucks quick serve, in and out experience, or you can sit down and have a wine steward-like barista experience where you describe what you're looking for. I did a, a flight of cold brews. They had the $20 you know, whiskey-aged uh, short-term. It's a very different experience. So I'm gung-ho in the roasteries, but 
I am not so gung-ho on the fact that this is the last roastery planned, that Howard Schultz had planned a sort of whole strategy where the roasteries would be matched by reserve stores. I wasn't a big fan of those, except in big cities but reserve bars put in more popular stores. So, where I live in downtown West Palm Beach, there is a store that does really great business until like 6 o'clock at night, where they added a reserve bar, which is more exclusive coffees, higher-end experience, more, again, of like a wine steward experience, they would extend their day at a higher price point. And I felt like that was the growth story for Starbucks. I mean, yes, there's China, but how many more can we have in the US? I've been in Vegas hotels that there were four in the hotel. So, <laughs> I, I am not entirely sure there's a lot of growth. And I thought premium was a way to extend your relationship with your existing customer. And that will work in the roastery cities, where they will have a core of locals that wants to spend time there. They are an absolute tourist destination. This is the Willy Wonka of coffee experiences. So, you mentioned some of the big cities. Um, you know, you look at New York, Tokyo, Shanghai, Milan. I mean, they've they've got a few of these going on. As a shareholder, though, I I look at it as I remember when the first one got announced, and Howard Schultz was out there talking about this, and I th- thought, okay, this is something he's clearly very passionate about, and I think if this is something he wants to do, he has certainly earned the right to do that. As a shareholder. I thought then and continue to think now, this is a nice thing that doesn't really move the needle in a demonstrable way. I think that's true of the six roasteries. When the idea was 20% of all U.S. stores would get a reserve bar, which would sell beans produced at the roasteries and the sort of upper-end experience, that made a lot of sense to me. Because it was either taking existing real estate that's underused, some stores are bigger than they need to be, or in certain locations where there are stores going out of business next to them, making favorable deals to expand their space with a product that's going to increase their sales per square foot. You would have had to be very judicious, but they have the research. They know which Manhattan Starbucks is the one where people need to walk through and pick their coffee up on the way to work that should have a limited menu, and which one is the neighborhood one that still has people in at 10 o'clock. You're not going to go on a date to a regular Starbucks. Neither one of us are going to go on a date. We're married. But if you were going to take your wife, you probably wouldn't be like, let's get a latte for six bucks. But if it was an experience with like premium desserts and you know a whole tended coffee tea, someone was really paying attention to you and it cost you $30, that's a pretty cheap night under those ex- under those circumstances. So, as you said, this was the plan under Howard Schultz. Kevin Johnson has been the CEO since April 2017. I wouldn't assume that the pumping the brakes on this plan is set in stone. And I say that because, look, we're just over two years into Kevin Johnson being the CEO. The stock has, in that time, more than doubled what the S&P 500 does. So, I think if you're a shareholder, then Kevin Johnson's doing a good job. And it's the sort of thing where it wouldn't shock me at all if a year, 18 months from now, they decided to roll a couple more of these out. I, I do think that's possible. I mean, I think Howard Schultz left the company partially because he, his role had been leading this initiative, the the roasteries and the creating of a new brand for Starbucks. And I think Kevin Johnson went to him, and this happens at all companies, and said, "Hey, I like this great idea." But hey, let's focus on efficiency, making our stores work better, making our customer experience. If you read the Starbucks earning call transcripts or listen to them, the vast majority of time is spent improving the customer experience. Their Trier Center, which is their test store in Seattle, actually has store employees who work out in the field spending part of their week 
explaining the pain points and working to make that stuff. Kevin Johnson's done a brilliant job with that. That said, I don't think for a brand this size to keep rolling out some tests of this or to put one more roastery each year on the docket, I don't think that's that big an investment, and they should have kept moving forward with it. Do you have a trip planned to Chicago? <laughs> I don't have a trip planned to Chicago, but I'm actually going to be in Seattle in November, and I have scheduled some meetings that will take place at the roastery. Nice. Uh, before we wrap up, I, last Thursday, I got the chance to talk with Robert Farrington at FinCon. Um, and uh, gotten a couple of questions from people saying, "Hey, why, why were you guys there? Why was the Motley Fool there?" Uh, we were there with Soapbox, and you may ask, "What is Soapbox?" And that is a question we got over and over and over <laughs> at the booth that we had um, with the fabulous logo that's red Soapbox Financial Network, and then underneath a Motley Fool company. Uh, so, what is Soapbox? Well. So at the Motley Fool, as we've talked about before, our mission is to make the world smarter, happier, and richer. And part of that is trying to bring the best financial content to everyone out there. And there are some amazing bloggers out there. And Soapbox is a new venture from the Motley Fool. Um, announced last week, uh, also announced its first acquisition, uh, the very popular uh, financial blog, Budgets Are Sexy. Jay Money now a fool. Exactly, the one and only Jay Money, who I got the chance to meet in person. Just a fabulous guy. So, um, anyway, we're more news to come from Soapbox, but um, going to be looking to work with freelance writers and bloggers. And uh, you can go to soapbox.com for more information. Uh, I was hanging out at the booth. You were actually leading a breakout session. <laughs> uh, what what was the topic, and and how did it go? So I went to FinCon for the first time last year, and FinCon is just a collection of people who produce financial content, from baby bloggers, early stage freelance writers, to you know rock stars like Chris Hill here or Jay Money, who are celebrities in that world. So it's this really fun gathering, and what I wanted to do is one of our goals at the Fool broadly is to just help people do things better. And I, I'm a freelance writer. That's essentially what you know my main role is. And I've done some onboarding of writers here. I've seen some of the applications, and I led a, se- a session on what freelancers are doing wrong because I see the same mistakes over and over. A cover letter that has nothing to do with the job. A cover letter that actually tells me that what your dream is is a different job. <laughs> so I got up, and the awesome part of it is being part of Motley Fool. You have an instant credibility. They sort of know you've made it, uh, and that you know. So I had I don't know 300 people in the room, tons of questions, really exciting, uh, and I hope to go back next year. That's great, and I hope That's to right. see some of you there. <laughs> um, Dan Klein, always great talking to you. Uh, get home safe. Thanks for having me. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Austin Morgan. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.